Welcome to another episode of Andy Here's the 80s. I'm your host Andy, joined always with my guest Aaron Keck. Hello. Uh, this week we're going to be taking a look at some new school hip-hop of the 1980s. Uh, last week checked out the old school and uh, the hard thing about that obviously that we came across and that I came across certainly researching is that uh, a lot of it wasn't recorded. Yeah. You know, a lot of it started out in the clubs, it started out as parties and it's hard to, from the perspective of a record collector, having a historical document for something that wasn't uh, recorded in the format you're filling your shelves with. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, but now now that we've moved into the newer era, the golden age, some might say, uh, these are all intended to be recorded. This mm. is some music that was meant for the studio and then taken on tour and makes it... Uh, it also branches out into a lot. There's... The five we're going to take a look at today are all pretty different from one another and shows kind of the direction that people took this in. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because, I mean, the the, the choice of the CDs that, that you picked here, you've got the first Run DMC album, mm-hmm. but not the, the later ones. You've got the second Beastie Boys album, but mm-hmm. not the first one, which is the which was the more sort of commercially popular. So mm-hmm. what was the what was the choice of CDs here? So, the, I mean, the, the first one, and the first one we'll take a look at here is Run DMC's uh, debut album from March of 1984. Uh, this Run DMC in general kind of signaled this, the change from what was considered hip-hop uh, to what basically is now would eventually yeah yeah uh so i wanted to take a look at that even i mean it doesn't maybe have like their biggest songs that you might know today but i think it shows that turning point Mm -hmm. right i think they uh highlight on this a lot of the simple production just the drum and bass uh kind of arrangements with the dueling mcs uh that would go on to become their style and a, a style that people would uh, kind of mimic uh, for yeah. their own. Yeah, it's the and the the line between old school and new school, mm-hmm. or the 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 chronological line between old school and new school, really kind of blurs because some of the albums that we're looking at this week predate some of the albums that we looked at last week right. with the old school. There's a couple of there's a couple of things. There's that. Uh, we kind of talked about this last week too. The extent to which early on in the history of hip hop, the DJ was the dominant one. You think mm-hmm. about Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Grandmaster Flash was the DJ. The Furious Five were the rappers. You didn't hear Grandmaster right. Flash very much on his own CD or on his own album uh, because he was the DJ keeping the beat. Whereas when we move into like Run DMC, you've got that very that that strong equality mm-hmm. between the dj and the mc and by the time we get to the beastie boys it's the mcs that dominate right. and there really is no dj to speak of except just in the studio yeah a lot of the it shifts you know even over the course of these you can tell it it shifts from the groups being the mcs and then the producers are kind of the djs that are in the back they're mm-hmm. on the album credits but they're not on the album cover necessarily yeah so the uh, members of rum dnc you've got uh, Run Joseph Run Simmons and Daryl McDaniel's aka DMC, DMC and then Jam Master J as the uh, on the wheels of steel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these guys come from New York. Still, this is still a New York focused uh, movement, and they are uh, basically they wanted to shift to what they saw their the hip hop that they knew was right. And so. Rather than the Furious Five, you know, in their outlandish outfits like that, I don't think even Eddie Murphy would have worn at the time. Oh, he might have. <laughs> Maybe. But on I, his better or worse days. Yeah, better or worse, yeah, yeah depending. Or both. Uh, so they're, you know, they got the sparse beats and they also show they're wearing clothes that the guys who were listening to the music yeah. were wearing, right? They've got the tracksuits and the, the gold chains and the Adidas sneakers rather than the fox fur and the leather pants and right, the extravagance right. that, you know, the old school guys, they were kind of mimicking, right, the funk and soul uh, look and the disco, whereas these guys now are bringing it more to what the people listening, what the audience was wearing, right? Yep. And it's also that shift from those early albums that were trying to sort of mimic the live party mm-hmm. feel into something that, like you said, was more produced. And I think Run DMC, this first album, is that that line between the two because this album, and we're going to get to uh, De La Soul later, 
has a little bit of that live vibe to mm-hmm. it. Like De La Soul's album, which we'll get to, is more like live, just sort of hanging out, whereas Run DMC is trying to recreate that that live party yeah. to an extent, mm-hmm. not to the same extent that you get from the early stuff right. that he had, but it's moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. They even, I mean, they even provide like a nice transition uh, in the first song, mm-hmm. uh, which is a cover of Curtis Blow's "Hard Times." Yeah. Right off the right out of the gate, and then you also get a little taste of uh, what would they would come out with a few years later, right? With um, the famous rap rock uh, crossover hit uh, "Walk This Walk Way." This way. Yeah. The second track on here is the one I'm going to play, that I think is way better than "Walk This Way" by just about oh, any measure. Shot across the bow, Aerosmith. I, I mean, I've never liked Aerosmith to begin with, <laughs> and I don't think that they, uh, you know. They made it maybe better, but I oh, they made it better. Uh, I still wouldn't listen to it uh, necessarily. Yeah, the Run DMC cover of "Walk This Way" is, is better. Than Certainly, the, the definitive version, yeah, right? It is now. But the the second track on their debut album, "Rockbox," I think is rocks just as hard and is probably a better song. So let's take a listen. See, I take offense to that because I drive a Ford. There is nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think that one, I mean, I'm glad that we did, you know, I'm, I like listening to this stuff chronologically because hearing this after hearing what we heard last week yeah. was like, it, you almost felt kind of the same what they had to have felt when they heard it to, to oh, begin yeah, with, yeah. right? I like, mean, it's this just, is this is brand new. Yeah, this yeah. is what's exciting, right? This yeah. is a sea change. Well, someone someone described this. Oh, wait, no, it's the uh, it's the the back of the album that <laughs> describes it this way. But it's true. This is the this is the Beatles emerging, or mm-hmm. like this is the this is the equivalent of the Beatles emerging in 1964, 20 years later. It's like okay, we've got the early stuff in in uh, with old school hip hop. We've got you know starting to to see what is possible with mm-hmm. this genre now that we've got the the baseline laid out here comes the new generation showing you what can be achieved and mm-hmm. taking it to a whole nother level yeah and they too are starting to uh bring out some of the more conscious lyrics too right mm. uh, not, not on every you know it's still some of the braggadocio kind of uh, boasting rap but then there is you know stuff like, like that yeah it's like yeah. that uh, wake up there are they're still just sending out messages right with their lyrics yeah so yeah this was i really enjoyed this uh, the run dmc i mean it is you can tell what time it came from right mm-hmm. it has that sort of drum machine sound that was yes. clearly yeah, the yeah, sounds yeah. built into the machine but I, I think it holds up uh to still some of the modern stuff yeah the one thing i noticed listening to these albums is that you know i'm I'm listening to them for honestly for the first time and it's 30 years later Mm -hmm. i tend to prefer the albums that sound more like albums like they're recorded in a studio to be recorded in a studio not necessarily trying to recreate the live performance feel Mm -hmm. and not just sort of uh in the in the de la soul style of just sort of recreating uh the liveness of life uh which makes no sense but you get the idea uh and it really sound like okay here's a song here's a song here's a song here's a song that 
that I felt more comfortable with because mm-hmm. that's just what I know. So this album I actually didn't like as much as, you know, look at the Straight Outta Compton later and Eric Bion and Rakim, which I think is coming up next. Uh, those albums, I think, sort of held together more like mm-hmm. albums where each song is a substantive thing as opposed to uh, as opposed to trying to recreate a live performance or sort of flowing through an entire uh flowing through an album without clear transitions between one and the next mm-hmm. i've found that interesting about myself listening <laughs> to these albums like oh this is what i prefer because this is what i know right yeah that's true it's a more uh traditional almost uh, yeah like structure right an album structure uh yeah so our next one here is paid in full by eric b and rakim which uh i sort of misspoke last week when i said that they use their real names uh, Rakim was a name that he adopted uh, after converting to Islam. Okay. So, technically but his real name, his but real also name, yeah. not his birth name. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to head off any corrections that's at fine. the past. I think, that that's, I think that's acceptable. Like, we, we, yeah. We'll get to the Beastie Boys where it's like, oh, I go by Mike D, exactly. but, I mean, that's not my name. My name is Mike Diamond. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think Rakim counts. I think it counts, too. Yeah. Yeah, Eric B. and Rakim paid in full. This is their debut album from July of 1987. Uh, Eric B. was basically a DJ on the radio who was then looking for a uh, an MC to partner with and was recommended Rakim by a uh, a concert promoter that he knew in, uh, in New York and met up Good with Rakim. recommendation. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. the rest is history, God. right? Uh, Rakim sort of ushering in when people started to identify an artist's flow this is kind of they point to rakim and say this is one of the influencers right this is one of the first voices who sounded different he wasn't yelling into the mic he was laid back he had uh, internal rhymes he had a different sound than people had before yeah because everything before was four four beat Mm -hmm. a a b b rhyme no internal rhyme uh, I was reading that a lot of it, and not so much with some of the stuff that we had listened to last week, because you know Sugar Hill Gang that was all written down right. by other people, as mm-hmm. it turned out. Uh, but a lot of it was improvised, sort of recreating the live performance feel where the DJ is dominant, and Rakim comes up with something completely different. Mm-hmm. Which again, like here's the new school. This is. This is all right. We've got the the foundation laid down. Now we're showing you how high we can leap over the bar. Mm-hmm. And the, he has uh, some similarities to, let's say, uh, Big Daddy Kane was a contemporary of theirs. Also, I think the production that comes out of this, the Eric B and Rakim album, I think surpasses a lot of mm-hmm. those. It's not that simple, eight oh eight kind of production uh, that they use. It's a lot of samples. And in addition. One of the guys they worked with on this uh, was a guy named uh, Marley Marl, who kind of pioneered the idea of sampling individual drum sounds, not just a loop, but replacing the drum and bass in the syn- in the synthesizers with a drum and bass from a song and creating your own beats with that, Yeah, which you can tell the difference. I mean, like that Run DMC, those are canned sounds that you yeah, could yeah, yeah. make. I could make on this laptop right now, Yeah, but the... The sampling of specific drum patterns and drum sounds changes the game. Mm -hmm. So let's take a listen to a song from this. These are all pretty good. It's hard to pick just one. I like the title track. of a master plan to 
this ain't nothing but sweat inside my hands So I dig into my pocket, all my money spent So I just deep up, still coming up with lint So I start my mission, leave my residence Thinking how could I get some dead presidents I need money, I used to be a stick-up kid So I think of all the devious things I did I used to roll up, this is a hole up Ain't nothing funny, stop smiling We still don't nothing move but the money But now I learn to earn cause I'm righteous I feel great, so maybe I might just search for a nine to five. If I strive, then maybe I'll stay alive. So I walk up the street, whistling this, feeling out of place, cause man, do I miss a pen and a paper, a stereo, a taper. Me and Eric being a nice big plate of fish, which is my favorite dish. But without no money, it's still a wish. Cause I don't like to dream about getting paid. So I dig into the books of the rhymes that I made. So now to test to see if I got pulled. Hit the studio, cause I'm paid in full. Akim, check this out. Yo, you go to your girl's house and I go to my, my girl's And it's hard now to to think about how revolutionary that was mm-hmm. in the nineteen eighties because we're so used to all of that now. The internal rhymes, the mm-hmm. the flow like all of that is being done by most hip hop right. artists today. This was the first time. I think this is the first one that we're listening to that really sounds like it could have come out today. Today, yes. I think this is the most modern one we've heard so far. Yeah, definitely. Which is probably why of the five that we're listening to and counting the the five that we listened to last week, this is my favorite album. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and certainly, you know, I'm just picking five at a time. We could go even deeper on these, but I'm trying to get... Oh, yeah, definitely. uh, You know, we might revisit these maybe someday, but... I think uh, this is, it, I like having this as a piece, right? You can look at this in the timeline and say, this is a turning point. Yeah. Which, and it still sounds good today. And then, of course, the next one was a huge turning point for hip hop uh, and for th- the hip hop audience. Uh, NWA's debut album, Straight Out of Compton, mm. came out in August of 1988. And. This is the first one we've heard not from New York. So the audience has stretched across the across country. Across the country, yeah. And now you get... Uh, it's a different attitude, right? I mean, yeah. different environment, different situation, uh, but similar techniques. I I appreciate this album because I was listening to it thinking about all of the artists that have come out in the last 50, 60 years or so that have been identified by the status quo as being, oh man, these are these mm-hmm. guys are dangerous, right? right. Like, think about Eminem, Marilyn Manson had that period when mm-hmm. like Marilyn Manson was public enemy number one, right? Frank Zappa went through that in the sure. 1980s. Elvis, uh, the Beatles briefly even. Go back and... To you know, like today, we go back and listen to those artists, and we're like, they're not dangerous. Like right. Elvis <laughs> isn't dangerous. Marilyn Manson isn't. NWA is the album that legitimately holds up as dangerous, mm-hmm. right? Like this is an actually revolutionary album, yeah. Uh, in a way that none of those other guys are. Mm-hmm. Like this actually stands out as a challenge, uh, in a way that. I mean, just sort of rock and and rap and hip hop in general are challenges to the status quo, but Mm -hmm. not in the way that this is. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, even guys in the band would tell you like, Easy e like they didn't want to fuck with them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, these guys wanted to uh, project to the world what how they were living in L.A. at this time. Mm -hmm. And I think they they do a great job of it, obviously. I mean, it captures a spirit and an attitude that you wouldn't have heard otherwise. I mean, honestly, I, I don't know because all I know about what it was sure. like to live in L.A. in 1988, I get from listening to Straight Outta Compton. Uh-huh. So as far as I know, yeah, they captured it 100%. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess, you know, there are there's, of course, like news stories and documentaries, of right. course, at the time. but. Uh, yeah, would we have heard any of that if nobody had yeah. brought attention to but, it? But I mean, that's also just a, a tribute to how significant this album is, that this is what we think of when we mm-hmm. think of like what was life like in L.A. at the the, the turn of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Like, 
go back and listen to Straight Outta Compton, and this is what this yeah. is what tells you what life was like. That's how influential this album is. Like mm-hmm. this is this is held up as documentary evidence. Now. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just oh, we wouldn't be talking about it if not for this album. Because of this album, we're not talking about anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. And the uh, no, this is probably the one of the most well-known gangster rap albums, or at least the start of it. Uh, NWR themselves even wouldn't say that they are the pioneers. They, there's influences. Uh, Ice-T was releasing mm-hmm. albums before this, and he was influenced a lot by Schooly D from Philadelphia. So this is just the one that caught fire, right? Yeah. Uh, this is has sold what I don't countless millions of copies dozens at this at point. Least, yeah, uh, and yeah, do, dozens, <laughs> of, and one more even uh, yeah, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, so let's hear a little bit. Uh, we'll hear a little bit of the title track right. uh, straight out of Compton. That guy now stars as police officers in PG-rated yeah. family comedies. I know. It's it's funny to see so many uh, artists from this time now in children's I and love other Ice television. Cube's career trajectory. <laughs> it's the most fascinating. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, you think about it. Ice Cube, of course, starring in film and television. Yeah. Ice-T, Ice-T on Law & Order. As LL, a cop. LL Cool J right. on... NCIS, whatever. Yep. It's, it's, <laughs> Which I think is the actual title uh, yeah. of that series. Yeah. But this album wastes no time. Like, I, I mm-hmm. glanced at it. You're 20 seconds in to the album, and you are already fully aware that this is like nothing that's ever happened before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They certainly don't hold back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like you said, straight out of confidence, the first track, and yeah. they're coming at you immediately. Uh, and. I think, you know, it's worth mentioning that some of the lyrics, uh, you know, they're offensive, right? Yeah. Not just to, uh, not just to the police, obviously, fuck the police, who cares, really? But, (laughs) you know, there's, there is that level of homophobia and misogyny Mm -hmm. and stuff that was started to pick up with uh, last week. Right. That is, you can't just look the other way necessarily. You can't look the other way, right. The problem is the beats are so good that it does make it, it's like, this is very enjoyable to listen to, but then you listen to what they're saying. You're like, no, wait a second. Yeah. You know, that's art in a way, right? It wants to confront things, but then you have to think, are they asking me to confront this or is this just how they felt? Yeah. And maybe the answer is yes. Yeah. The answer is yes. I do want to play one more from this. That is the perfect one for me that uh, it proposes or, you know, it, it ha- it's that quandary, right? Of I love the beat on this, but they're just saying terrible shit. So yeah. let's, let's play uh, number 10 on the CD. I ain't the one. the street so i know what's up on these silly games that's played by the women i'm only happy when i'm going 
going up in her. But you know, I'm a menace to society. But girls in biker shorts are so fly to me. So I step to them with a crash and listen to the kid and learn a lesson today. See, they think we narrow-minded because they got a cute face and big behind it. So I walk over and say, how you doing? See, I'm only down for screwing, but you know, you gotta play it off cool. Cause if they catch you slipping, you get schooled and they'll get you for your money, son. Next thing you know, you're getting their hair and their nails done for them. They'll let you show them off. But when it comes to sex, they got a bad cough or a headache. It's all give and no take. Run out of money and watch your heart break. They'll drop you like a bad habit. Cause a brother with money, yo, they gotta have it. Messing with me, though, that gets none. You can't juice Ice Cube, girl, cause I ain't the one. Girl, you gotta get these brothers for all the money you can, honey. Cause if they ain't got no money, they can't do nothing. Yeah, that's a great beat. Yeah. That I'm walking through the grocery store humming. <laughs> and yet, I mean. Who was the. Who was the. Uh, who was the woman on that? Let's see. Let me check the liner notes here. I don't know if she's yeah, you might credited. have to hunt for it a little yeah. bit in the. Uh... <laughs> she's not credited in the album notes. Uh, no kidding. <laughs> so, even more problems, right? That's gangster rap in a nutshell, yeah. right? Express yourself, which we're I don't mm-hmm. know if we're going to listen to that. Uh, is I think my new favorite uh, rap yeah. song. <laughs> it's so good. I do like. I mean, this is. Uh, a good example. I mean, all these are of the production values that Dr. Dre would bring to then others things, right? And yeah. I had the same problem with the Chronic from the '90s, mm-hmm. Gr- like top-notch production with uh, dubious lyrics. Let's see. We'll play a little bit of "Express Yourself." When you got a subject and a predicate Add it on a dope beat And it'll make you think Some suckers just tickle me pink to my stomach Cause they don't flow like this one You know what? I won't hesitate to this one or two before I'm through So don't try to sing this Some drop science Well, I'm dropping English Even if yella makes it a cappella. I still express, yo, I don't smoke weed or cess Cause it's known to give a brother brain damage And brain damage on the mic don't manage nothing But making a sucker and you equal Don't be another sequel Don't be another sequel <laughs> yeah. That's the best line ever I love too in that how Dr. Dre says he doesn't smoke weed Mm -hmm. however he will go on to release two albums called chronic the chronic yeah so and and is in this uh is in this group with ice cube who will go on to write friday Friday. next friday and friday maybe he doesn't need to because he has a contact high at all times from everybody else but uh this is also uh, sort of we're moving into we're moving away from the old school into the new school away from the live performance mm-hmm. into the more like studio produced this one uh and i think nwa in general is the the first maybe certainly the first one we've listened to where we've already moved from the dj being dominant to the mc being dominant mm-hmm. here we move into the producer being dominant right. like dr dre steps forward as a mm-hmm. major figure and i think the only other album that we've listened to kind of ironically where the producer is the dominant one is the first one sugar hill gang yeah. where the producer is the dominant figure and she's gathering these rappers together and saying okay you're gonna do this now mm-hmm. but here we've got the producer as being an essential part of the group and so you've got dr dre who is emceeing and producing you've got easy e and ice cube who are emceeing mm-hmm. and who's the dj oh right dj yellow who mm-hmm. is easily like of the five the fifth most well-known right. of the of the group in a way that you don't get with grandmaster flash where it's exactly the other way around mm-hmm. and that happens in five years yeah it's yeah. a the, quick like, turnaround complete yeah. reversal yeah the the last thing that i'll say about nwa is this comes out at the same time as public enemy which Mm -hmm. uh, roughly the same time which was one of the first albums we listened to uh public enemies 
album title is It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. And I think I said way back in episode one that that's actually a really depressing album title because even though It Takes a Nation of Millions, we are still being held back. The subtitle of Straight Outta Compton really ought to be Even a Nation of Millions Can't Hold Us Back Mm -hmm. because this like blows through that fence in a way that I don't even think Public Enemy does. Yeah. And and it was also one of the first ones uh, to get the parental advisory sticker mm-hmm. uh, created. Yeah, right? I mean, they previously it, previously reserved only for Frank Zappa's instrumental album. Right? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So I mean, from going going from it takes a nation of millions to hold us back to people are actually passing laws to try and yeah. make this harder to buy. Yeah. Right. And failing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah and so as soon as, and as soon as the parental advisory label gets slapped on NWA, now that becomes a point of pride. Oh, like yeah. you can't in, especially in the nineties, like you can't release an album to be taken seriously unless it's got the parental yeah. advisory label. I don't know. I, maybe, uh, do, does Tipper Gore have kids? Do Do we know? Tipper and Al Gore, they have kids. Of course they've they do. Got, One of them writes on Futurama. Kids, right, yeah. uh, but <laughs> This is how we know. So I don't know how they don't understand. If you say that something is bad, children want to buy it more and will go out of their way to buy it. I think that's like a, I think that's a, I think that's a secondary thought. (laughs) The idea of let's stick a parental advisory label is this sort of knee jerk, like let's do this and, and then the problem will go away. You have to think about it for more than 10 seconds before you realize that. I don't know. I do want to also point out the final song on here, something to dance to, Mm -hmm. uh, is kind of it kind of reminded me of like the R and B tracks on the right. other old school ones. Like this is their it's the palette sort of at like, the end uh, of the, at yeah, the end of the album because yeah. uh, DJ Yella and Dr Dre they were in a group called the uh, World Class Wrecking Crew before mm-hmm. this, which was basically like a funk disco outfit with which started to introduce turntables and. This is basically their version of like, well, in case the whole fuck the police thing doesn't pan out, <laughs> here's a dance we track can also. release this as yeah. well, yeah. So I thought that but was But fortunately funny. for them, fuck the police did did work it out. It did yeah. work out. It did work out. And we're all grateful for it. Yes. Well, most of us. <laughs> the civilians are all grateful for it. Yeah. Right? Uh, next up, we've got De La Soul's debut album, Three Feet High and Rising, from March of 89. Mm-hmm. This one I almost uh, skipped over because I thought for sure it came out in 1990. Yeah. Uh, but fortunately... I was really excited about listening to this album. This actually, of the five, is the one that I think I liked the least only because of personal taste. Like, I like the one... That, I like the albums that sound more like albums produced in a studio, like mm-hmm. Song, Song, Track, 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 whereas De La Soul was really... Like, this album has the feel of a like a bunch of people hanging out yeah. in the neighborhood on a hot summer day and mm-hmm. like really trying to recreate that uh in a fun and playful way and i was like <laughs> and like the whole time listening to this album i was like go to the next actual song people <laughs> yeah 15 uh, second stuff it's funny this is uh, give me the answers to the questions you laid out in the yeah, first uh, yeah first no, track they never do on yeah they never do uh i was i was glad that i picked this too because this is actually, it might be the first hip-hop album to contain skits, which yeah. would then go on to ruin dozens of albums throughout the 90s. <laughs> uh, and so Certainly it was fun. one of the first. Yeah, it was fun hearing uh, a lot of that stuff, even if, you know, I'm going to skip it the next few times I listen to it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need to hear De La Orgy every time I listen to the yeah, album. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but fortunately, I think for me, all the songs between the skits... Uh, overcome that for me i like the album a lot oh yeah thank you i mean they're they're great clearly uh and it does have that kind of feel of like a scrappy bedroom recording mm-hmm. right these guys just got this equipment together and are all just hanging out yeah just making fun music i want to know because at the very end of this album they encourage people to write into the record company i want to know how many people did i assume a lot of people did i i hope so i tried to look online to see what 
you might get if you what did results? mail in your proof yeah. of purchases, which my copy still has. So maybe I'll just try you it. Could, and you could still back. do it. Yeah. I don't know. I, hopefully Tommy Boy has the same offices that they've had uh, for <laughs> 20, 30 years. But uh, let's see. The track I'm going to play from this one is uh, I Know. It's track number nine. Greetings, girl, and welcome to my world of phrasing right up to back. It's the daisy age, you're about to walk top stage, so wipe your lottoes on the mat. Hip-hop love this is, and don't mind when I quiz your involvement before the sun. But clear your court, cause this a one-man sport, and who's better for this than plugged one? Don't have to worry about me squashing other deals, cause they've already been squished. Freeze a frame of our moves the same, wish we can continue right behind the bush. You'll stay with me, I know this, but not because of all my earthly treasures or regardless to the fact that I'm passing the noose but because yeah I love the choice of samples and beats that they use on this mm-hmm. it's just such perfect like laid-back chill just this is kind of like uh, you know like I said, the, all these albums that we're hearing today kind of started to branch into different genres, mm-hmm. right, of hip hop, and this one is just that perfect laid back summer music yeah. that I want to I want to hear. This is again the the era where we start to see what's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a way that you didn't get with the old school. Like the old school was definitely every album was very similar in the sense of this is the recreation of the live performance. We're doing a party album mm-hmm. here. We just went from NWA to De La Soul. Yeah. Like, what a contrast. And that's only two. what? That, this is, these yeah, were they're coming out at the same time. Like six months apart. Yeah. Yeah. But I think they do a really great job of capturing a vibe. Uh, they refer to their sound on this album specifically as the Daisy Age. Daisy right? Age, yeah. The inner sound, y'all, is what it would stand <laughs> for. Uh, and it do, it has that kind of a psychedelic vibe, kind mm-hmm. of... Uh, they didn't like being called hippies, which uh, I guess the Daisy I does mean, invite. I mean, who does, really? Yeah. So they did kind of change their sound on the very next album well, a they, little bit. I but... mean, they were never they were never about keeping the sound in the first place. Right. right? They're, they've yeah. always been kind of experimental, and uh, they didn't like it. You know, nobody likes getting put in a box. Yeah. But... I do like, you know, moving from... And we, we talked about uh, album cover presentation mm-hmm. last week and the difference between different artists we're looking at like eric b and rakim paid in full where it's the two of them gold chains uh and the uh are those two dollar bills or twenty dollar bills those are twenty dollar bills a variety uh it. in the background mm-hmm. go from that to nwa which is the whole group like mm-hmm. staring down at you uh guns pointed right and then you go from that to de la soul which is the like psychedelic slash mm-hmm. like I, I i mean honestly i look at that album cover and i think about the uh, fresh prince but mm-hmm. it's i mean it's the other way around right? right like fresh prince is getting his vibe from de la soul but uh but it's that like the yellow background very fun like uh late 60s daisies all over the, right. the album cover and like just completely wildly different presentations of who these artists mm-hmm. are. Yeah, and that was something they purposefully did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this al- whole album was kind of budget made, but they commissioned, I think it was an English artist, for like $2,000 to do all the album art. Yeah. And basically, they wanted to differentiate themselves, right? They don't want any money or cars or women on the cover. They yeah. just want something that shows uh, what their sound is like. Yeah. And it works really well. It's a fun album. Yeah. And and speaking of like uh, stage names that they would use uh, for not using their real names, you've got Pause de Noose, mm-hmm. which is Sound, sound Sop, Sop Backwards. backwards. Yeah. Uh, Kelvin Mercer is his real name. Uh, Maceo, or as he's credited on this one, uh, Pace Master Mace. That's Vincent Lamont Mason. Okay. And... Uh, Trugoy the Dove later would become just Dave. 
Uh, but Trugoy <laughs> is yogurt spelled backwards because he really Cause like he yogurt. Because he likes yogurt, yeah. yeah. I mean, who doesn't really? Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's I like that even their names kind of reflect their style, yeah. right? Just kind of silly. Just hanging out. Laid back. Yeah. I like yogurt. And also like talented enough that, yeah, my name is yogurt spelled backwards. I don't have to prove myself yeah. <laughs> with my stage name. Come yeah, on. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This is... Uh, I mean, all these have been great, but I do love that one specifically. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, Me, Myself, and I is the big signal from mm -hmm. that one that maybe you've heard. Uh, that was the kind of uh, their first big break that would get them recognized. Now, the final one we've got here is was released July 1989. This is Paul's Boutique by the Beastie Boys. This is, as you said earlier, this is their second album. Uh, Licensed to Ill was released... Uh, I believe in 86. 86, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. that was uh, one of the first Def Jam recordings, mm -hmm. uh, the label of Russell Simmons and Rick Rubin. Uh, this one, they took a specifically different turn with their second album. Uh, and kind of the reason why I didn't pick License to Ill is because it's... I don't think it holds up as well. It has some of their big break songs, right? right? Fight for your right to party, etc. But it's such like a frat boy, like kind of yeah, party album. Yeah. I don't think it holds up to me. Uh, and even they, the fact that this is their second album shows that even without reading interviews where they do want to, they did want to move from it. You can tell. This we don't want to get stuck in this frat boy box. Yeah, we're we're moving. Let's on move in that. a more interesting direction. Well, some of the I think a lot of a lot of artists like take that take that path where the best albums are not the ones mm -hmm. that you that have the songs that you know. Like the Rolling Stones are like that, or even like the Beatles, where yeah. you think, oh, what's the best Beatles album? Sgt. Pepper. What's that hit single <laughs> off of Sgt. Pepper? Uh, yeah. Day in the Life, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but like their biggest hits are not the ones on their mm -hmm. on their best albums, and it's the same with the Beastie Boys. Like, yeah. yeah, I can. And this like Paul's Boutique holds up together as yeah. a as a. It was not huge. It only went gold the year it came out, and it took till '99 to go platinum yeah. or double platinum. Then, uh, but this shows kind of the direction the Beastie Boys were going. Right, mm -hmm. this sounds more like the Beastie Boys you would hear or would have hear, heard uh, more recently versus what sounds like a uh, uh, time capsule kind of at this yeah. point, right? With the license to ill. I appreciate that they were popular enough. Like, oh, this was a, this was a commercial failure. It only went gold. Uh, yeah, right. Remember the, the uh, Weird Al episode of Behind the Music where he was like, and then my second album only went gold instead of platinum. I had to buy the medium-sized jacuzzi. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> yeah, and, and it did even, you know, it only went gold, right? But it, it took, uh, like I said in the first episode, uh, Surfer Rosa took almost 20 years to go gold because right. I saw them in 2005 where they were awarded their gold record finally <laughs> for that. But uh, let's play the first, uh, the first song on Paul's Boutique. These guys started out as a hardcore punk band yeah. and eased into hip hop. So this uh, this group focuses more on like actual instrumentation rather than the the DJ turntable, right? Yeah, well, they did uh, certainly in their first one, but this one is almost entirely samples. Mm -hmm. uh, the Dust Brothers, who are the producers on this album, were making a lot of these intended to be instrumental, like. like you know, DJ music that they were going to put out. And then the BC boys heard it and were like, no, we want to rap over this. And like, oh, should we pull some of it back at all? Do you want to make it like, no, leave everything in. Let's go. Yeah. And so it has that kind of 
uh, you know, a lot of people talk about this one in reference to the density of samples, right? This mm-hmm. is just created so with so many samples that it couldn't be done today. They apparently did clear most, if not all, of these samples, but since it was so early on, they didn't really know how much to charge for that. So right. it only cost a million dollars or so <laughs> to clear these samples. Uh, whereas today, they probably would have just been told no, right? Especially with like Beatles and stuff like yep, that yep. that are on here. But yeah, this is the sound on this is pretty incredible, I think. What's the track? I I can't remember mm-hmm. uh, which one it is, but it's early on in the album where um, this is me showing my ignorance. We were talking about this before, where like I have no frame of reference <laughs> to to speak intelligently about. 80s hip-hop at all so i'm learning all of this for the first time but there's that early track in the album where uh they talk about getting arrested and do hmm. you know which one i'm talking about uh, maybe there's no track list on the back of the yeah album. there's no track <laughs> list anywhere on that uh on that That's album it. i was listening to that and i, I occurred to me that you can tell that the beastie boys are white because of the way that they talk about interactions with the police versus <laughs> nwa yeah that's certainly uh, true like the beastie boys do not get in trouble with the police until and unless they actually start committing crimes whereas with nwa it doesn't matter what right. they do. yeah that's true It is that one, but it takes a while for the police <laughs> yeah. to show up. Yeah, that's true. And I think they do, uh, like NWA, they do, they do a good job of crafting a narrative throughout mm-hmm. the song. Oh, yeah. Right? And uh, they, the way that their vocals kind of alternate call and response style is very run DMC, right? Mm-hmm. You definitely hear, I mean, not just obvious because MCA is quoted on the back of this deluxe uh, edition of run, run DMC's album, but... Uh, you can tell where their influences come from, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And those are the five albums hey. for New School Hip Hop from the 1980s. So we might go back and revisit some of these. Cause definitely. I mean, there are yeah. definitely just... Beastie Boys albums and Run DMC albums, at least, yeah. that we haven't covered. Yeah, I mean, there are dozens of albums that, oh, we yeah. could in- that we could throw in here. I mean, to have just five is only for the sake of... A, me only having to buy five each episode <laughs> for these, and also uh, for the brevity of the podcast. Uh, but yeah, and another yeah, thing... I appreciate I'll... you listening to this podcast, those of you who are listening, because Andy's room of music is about to be like loaded full <laughs> of uh, CDs, many of which, by the way, are like 20th anniversary editions and yeah, at this point. 25th anniversary editions. So it's kind of difficult to, to go back and listen to them in the context of how they sounded mm-hmm. in the 80s because so many of these have bonus tracks now. Yeah. Like, this is this is not just the album. This is the album with the deleted scenes. Mm-hmm. Or this is the album with uh, re-recordings that were reproduced or remixes or things like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, I mean, not just is it on, if you were listening, you know, on cassette or vinyl yeah. before, and now it's on CD. It's like trying in to addition, go back and watch empire strikes back as it was originally seen in oh theaters because yeah. you can't even find that anymore yeah literally yeah yeah uh but oh one thing i do want to add for anyone else uh who for some reason is just learning about hip-hop from this episode first of all i'm sorry yes yeah, really apologies uh, for that yeah. but uh one thing i watched uh in preparation for these was uh, netflix has a four-part documentary called hip-hop evolution mm-hmm. Uh, that was really good and goes from early 70s to early 90s, kind of covers the whole uh, gamut, has a lot of great interviews. Uh, you learn a lot of great artists in there. And 
touches more on some of the things that we've only just kind of grazed the surface of. Mm. So definitely check that out. Uh, it's on Netflix. Just came out at the end of last year. Uh, Hip Hop Evolution. Yeah. What year was that? Uh, the year it came out? Yeah. Uh, 2016. 2016. That's yeah. true. We're recording these in yeah, advance. Yeah, we're recording this in 2017. <laughs> but, yeah, so... Future uh, anthropologists will be listening to this in 2345. <laughs> They're like, what year are they talking what about? What year did that oh documentary come out? Still speaking perfect 21st century yeah. English, though. It, hasn't it won't changed. change at all. Yeah, not at all. Uh, next week, we are going from new school to new wave. We're going to try and pick out five albums uh, worth hearing from... The new wave, which is kind of <laughs> a sick burn on the new wave, there, Andy. <laughs> well, I mean, it is one of those things that is kind of ambiguous, right? Mm. There's no like one new wave sound necessarily, and we'll hear that next week. Yeah. Um, and then after you know, we'll break into some other genres after that. But new wave, yeah, I mean, new wave is like. 90s when they would say alternative rock right yeah, what does that mean everything. necessarily yeah. yeah but uh so we'll hear what that means uh next week starting with i believe the talking heads will be the first ones up so right now you can already start discussing whether or not they are a new wave band or not uh well when you said new wave literally the first thing that popped into my head was oh like talking heads oh, well there right? you go so, so there we're you on go. the right track yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's it for this week. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, I've been Andy, joined with my host, Aaron Keck. Uh, and that was The 80s. Thanks for listening to Andy Here's the 80s. What are some of your favorite hip-hop albums from the 1980s? Let me know at andyhearsthe80s at gmail.com. That's 80s spelled out, E-I-G-H-T-I-E-S at gmail.com. Or follow me on Twitter at andyhearsit. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. Thank you.